episode 18 of Strange Brow Radio. I'm your host, Tobe Johnson. Today's guest are Chad and Alta Dillard. The story, Orbduction in the French Quarter. If you haven't heard this story, you've not heard anything like it. It's an amazing retelling of a couple and their co-worker who go a-missing for some time. And the story they have about where they went is something to behold. In fact, it's going to be a two-parter. So the first part coming up here shortly. But thank you to our sponsor, Feral by AaronEtsy.com. Go check out Shaman-inspired museum-quality drums, rattles, smudge sticks. These hides on these drums are just amazing pieces of art all to themselves, let alone when you make them into a drum. Something sings. That's what they tell me. Things will come a-knockin' at night if you play these in the woods. Go to the Etsy shop, Feral by Aaron at E-R-Y-N. Next up, Chad and Alta Dillard and their amazing story in the French Quarter. We'll be right back. Chad and Alta Dillard and lived a quiet life before 1995, a somewhat normal life, one would say, but things got strange when they saw that first, what I would call, mothership hover above them in 1995. And from there, (laughs) the adventure really begins. There's a lot to the story. Many, many details will be explained in a short amount of time. That's why we're doing it in a two-parter. So... The first hour will be Chad's story. The second hour will be Alta's story. And she will include the -the off-the-record co-worker, Christine. Maybe someday she'll come forward and talk about her own experience with them. Without further ado, I give to you the abduction in the French Quarter. We're here today with Chad and Alta Dillard. They have uh, been responsible for the book and the Facebook page, Orbduction, in the French Quarter. Say hello to Chad and Alta. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Thank you for having us here, Tobe. We're so excited. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's fantastic that you both do this together. You know, oftentimes when a witness comes forward or an experiencer, unfortunately, it's a really one-sided issue, especially in a relationship. And one person either pursues it real hard while the other person tries to pull them back, kind of like, you know, in Close Encounters of the Third Kind when Richard Dreyfuss' character really right. <laughs> started going head over heels. So it's encouraging to hear you both on the same page. Now, the book that you both written, um, I imagine that you both had a hand in writing it together. Is that true? Yeah, for the most part, uh, Alta wrote a lot more than I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we wrote it together. You know, we had to collaborate as far as, as uh, we've had very, in that, in that one particular event that we probably will be speaking about soon, um, there were three of us involved and all three of us had very different experiences. So had to collaborate, you know, to get all of that different version, if you will. I did most of it as far as, because I was just compelled to do it and and it's just not something that I've ever done before. And, you know, boy, I mean, 
crazy. It's just been crazy because there's been so much and the book was then edited down to a, what I call a very small book where it's just primarily about the one event, but ours are lifetime events. You know, there's a lot been going on and still going on. Right. These things seem to have that way of building, building on one another, kind of like little building blocks. And mm. so I understand what you mean with that, but let's, uh, let's move back in time. Let's move back to 1995 here. Does that sound like a good place to start with your story? Any, anywhere you like is awesome for us. You guide and go follow. And we love questions, so. Yeah. Well, in 1995, it seems as though things started with a, a UFO sighting. So let's start there, and then we'll work our way back and forwards as we tell the story. Okay. Well, uh, I guess I'll go in and start this off then. Um, this was, again, this was in 95. This was in Hammond, Louisiana, which is kind of on the... It's, what they call the uh, kind of the North Shore uh, uh, across uh, Lake Pontchartrain from uh, New Orleans. And so we're, we're going in uh, to town for dinner uh, one evening. Uh, it wasn't quite dark yet, you know, it was still kind of a little light out. And as we come into town, we kind of go over or around this group of trees in this turn in the, uh, in the road. In fact, behind this group of trees is like the local uh, Walmart shopping center. And we'd get around this group of trees, and you know, they were kind of tall pines. And we'd kind of look up into the sky, and there's this craft in the sky. And it is just, it's just enormous. It's huge. Just, you know, it takes up half the sky. Uh, it seems to be low to the ground, you know, below close cloud level um and it was very dark uh, and the shape of it was kind of like a uh triangle with the tip cut off or, or like a long rectangle with you know the kind of uh, one end not as wide as the other end uh, moving very slow out and i both kind of look up at it she turns to look at me and I look at her. So, you know, we're kind of, you know, in, in our mindset, we're saying, okay, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And now she never turns back and looks again. I look back up at it. Now there's other people out on the road, you know, and I, I don't see anybody like, you know, pulling over to the side. There's no reaction. There's, you know, nothing like that. Of course, this was in 95 before, you know, like cell phones and with our, you know, cameras and everything. So, you know, we didn't have a camera there. You know, we looked up at it. I looked back up at it. And then I kind of just turned away and I was like, okay, if I don't look at it, if I don't acknowledge it, they won't know I saw them. That's kind of what happened in my, in my mind. Again, Alton never looked back at it. And you know, she just, we went on to dinner that night. We didn't speak about it. We didn't talk about it. We got home. We didn't speak about it. We didn't talk about it. It was like, okay, you know, if we don't talk about it. You know, it didn't happen. Well, that wasn't able to happen because the next morning we saw on the news or 
radio or I, I don't remember how, but other people had reported strange things in the sky that same night. Um, you know, I'll have Alta talk about it a little bit because the way she, you know, reacted, it was like, okay, that didn't happen. You know, that's not real. And if that would have been probably one of our own, our only experience, we probably would have never spoke about it. We probably would have never talked about it. But then a few months later, we moved to uh, the French border and, you know, things got really weird then. <laughs> if, if I could interject real fast, though, just for, for, you know, the sake of the conversation, there's no doubt to me, this is my language, not Chad's, that we were arranged my word, arranged in 1990 by an unseen force. Others have put a lot of language to it. I don't use the same language. I just keep referring to high strangeness. But in that arrangement, there's, we discovered within 24 hours that Chad's grandfather and I share the same first and last name. His grandfather's first name is Alton. Now that's, I just put that out there you know, as I like to try to encourage people who hear us, that are kind enough to hear us, I like to say, you know, what are the odds? What are the odds? And so that seemed to begin our connection without any doubt, high strangeness right from the jump. So when this happened in 95, I had already been so freaked out in the very beginning of just meeting Chad that Seeing something in the sky that looked like it took up the sky was not something I could process. And I didn't. I absolutely went into shock. I turned my head away. The weirdest of behavior, boy, I wouldn't do it now. But that's certainly what happened to us when it first happened. So you remember looking at this giant craft and your initial instinct for both of you really was to turn away and pretend it wasn't there. And looking at that there, was there, you speak about the synchronicity that's already in place with Chad's grandfather being named after you, Alta. Was there, looking back, was there any familiarity with this craft as though it awoken something in you that was already within you, maybe forgotten, or was it just so shockingly new that uh, that was your first instinct? awesome question and I have to say I honestly don't know how to answer even this far into it I, it just um again because our time seems short again just for reference I was told by my mother that that we had had a, a, a an encounter if you will that's the only way I know how to describe it she said when I'm about six months old she's driving across the desert and she claims I'm the only passenger in the car. This would have been the late 50s. And she claims that a small craft, UFO, metallic, came down out of the sky and stopped her on the highway or on the road. Now, that was not something I ever wanted to hear in my life. I had no interest. This is, you know, I'm consistent with that. Whatever has been going on with me particularly, has I feel like been so big maybe, or so strange with no answers that when this happened to us in 95, all I, all I can respond to is I, I just feel like I just completely shut down. I turned my head away, I jerked my head away. 
and I looked directly at Chad, begging Chad silently to tell me that whatever whatever that was was not there. I can say it a bit comical now, but in the in the experience. Yeah, it, and me too. You know, I was like, okay, you know, this can't be real. No. You know, at the time, you it was know, too big. Yeah, it was just. It's impossible, but describe. Yeah, I don't remember it moving. Yeah, describe too big to put it in perspective of something on scale. So let's say where the New Orleans Saints play, Saint Stadium or whatever they call the yeah. stadium there, is it something that size, that scale? Oh yeah, yeah, I believe so. It was again, it was so big. It seemed and, to take up the sky. Yeah, our view. It was just impossibly, re you know. We've We've, he's always described it in the past again when you know we've been asked larger than the supersized walmart parking lot and all of that surrounding area and yet traffic remained completely unfazed by it all right yeah there weren't like people pointing in the sky or pulling over or you know freaking out you know end of days kind of things but mm -hmm. yeah no it was it was just like mm -hmm. nothing was going on and you know it's, it was just so huge yeah now we'll get back to that i think that's an interesting element as far as people not taking notice of things like that right. of course this is before everyone had a camera in their pocket so yeah how, how long did the sighting last well just a few seconds i mean you know alton never turned back you know the traffic was moving so, you know, we weren't going to just pull over, you know, it was kind of a major thoroughfare through the, mm -hmm. through the town that we lived in. So, you know, we just kind of kept on going and like, I never looked back at it after I looked back that second time, of course I was driving and it was on the, like the right hand side of the road. So I had to, you know, focus on, on driving also. And I mean, we went on to the restaurant and we never like, spoke about yeah, it. We never, it absolutely was a non-event, except, <laughs> except it wasn't. So, <laughs> so this morning, I, I the next morning we learned that it was an event. It was something. Right. You had confirmation that you saw it, and so did others. Right. Okay. Nothing we wanted, I can assure you. <laughs> we were trying <laughs> to stay asleep. <laughs> Okay, now let's go to the, the French Quarter. Um, you're in Louisiana, in the French Quarter, and you have a coworker. What exactly, is it Kristen or Christine that is your coworker? Right, we call her Christine in the book. Okay, Christine. And so you and your coworker um, experienced something after that. What year is this? Okay, well, we moved to the quarter shortly after our experience we just shared with you, um, that high strangeness, within a, no amount of time, we moved to the French Quarter. That would have been 1995. So we had every kind of insane, anomalous experiences happening. Um, I mean, numerous types of anomalous experiences happening to us, almost from the moment we moved to the French Quarter, that again in 1995. Now you fast forward to the time you're asking us about, which was 1997. Okay, so, so within, within two years, you've stacked up a bunch of stories, a bunch of encounters, and oh the, the creme de la creme is about ready to happen to you. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. Oh boy. 
What kind of, well, right. before we get there, what kind of things between those two years? Don't, don't skimp on any of this here. What, what sort of things are we talking oh, about? Sure. I mean, you just seen a mothership. How better, how much better can it get? Man. Well, we end up moving above a voodoo temple. Ta-da. I mean, it's, our life has been so bizarre. Uh, this voodoo temple had, a, had um, it, it was considered the authentic, if you will, and it had a huge courtyard. And it was over 200 years old and the property. And it had uh, what had been slave quarters had been converted into small efficiency apartments. Voodoo priestess lived on the property. She had her um, quarters on the other side of the, of the um, this was like in a square, if you will. Uh, you, wouldn't, you couldn't tell from the street. You come through big wrought iron gate and you walk to the back and you're in the in this big square um, that's a courtyard, right? This voodoo priestess had chickens and everything. I mean, it was just so bizarre. Chad and I walked into a world we were clueless about. We had no idea what we were walking into. So it ends up, we start experiencing the anomalouses, everything from what people have labeled as poltergeist to uh, Chad had an absolute full face face uh, encounter with the voodoo priest that had died right before we moved to the property. Um, I had oftentimes, I had a time, well, the only way I know how to describe it is a time slip. And it would appear that in that time slip experience, I was uh, trans, I don't know, transferred back into the time of when that property had slaves. And um, I was experiencing what felt and appeared to me as possibly three young teenagery um, females that were women of color that I was sure and the way they appeared and everything else led me to feel as if they had been slaves on that property. And in that same encounter, I had what appeared to be a Virgin Mary-like and I won't say apparition, uh, being that I had a full-blown encounter with all happening at the same time. A time slip with this crazy experience going on. Um, we had a fire take place in the temple. Now the temple is below us and where the temple is below on ground floor, um, but not directly below our apartment, right next to it. Yeah, it was kind of like a floor Fourplex. So if you don't mind, share the, that chat. The, the, the voodoo the priestess, uh, she had, you know, the temple on one side and a little gift shop on the other. And we were kind of above the gift shop. So I wake up in the middle of the night and uh, Chad and I have never had children. So I'd like to point out we've had a crazy life, but we've never had children. <laughs> Just to give ourselves, I guess, the freedom to have a crazy life. Our babies have always been critters. Everything from alligators to puppies. And at that time, we had a rotty doe, a pretty good sized puppy. And so I point that out because her name was Nephi, short for Nefertiti. She seemed to get knocked out, just to kind of frame that in having experiences. Like she's knocked out. Well, but explain, explain that. How does, how does that look? She's, you know, she's in that apartment when I'm having that time slip experience, if you will. 
uh, right before this experience takes place, she's, I have another friend that's visiting. And uh, this is in the daytime, this is in the afternoon. When the friend comes over, we're just gonna have a girl's afternoon. I'm not working that day, Chad's at work. It's me and my friend and nephew. All of a sudden, everything changes. And what I mean by that is she gets very sleepy. Now we were gonna have drinks, I admit that, but we've just had a drink, I think, not even. I don't even remember us even having a drink, just getting one started or what have you. I had a day bed, next thing I know, she needs to take a nap. What? Now she's very young. She was 15 years younger than I am. Um, and, and, you know, in her late 20s and very healthy and so on. Well, she's, she lays down on that day bed and she, I want to say literally just goes straight to sleep. My dog did the same thing. And then the next thing I know, I'm like, well, what the heck? I go into my bedroom because I'm like, well, apparently it's nap time here. Now, I don't sleep. I'm not a sleeper. But I go in my bedroom. I sit down on my bed, on the side of my bed. And the next thing I know, I'm back in my living room and everything has changed. And it was what I just briefly described to you about the experience of having females standing in my living room. My living room, it was my apartment, but it absolutely looked old and old and dirty and ancient. And uh, so anyhow, in well, this experience- Al, Al, Alta, fantastic. describe how describe how realistic this was and what the transition fr from that time to another time is like. I mean, are you seeing, the walls start to change and transition, the floorboards, everything is transitioning, or is it just sudden? It was instant. That's the only way I know how to describe it. Mm -hmm. I, sat, I remember sitting down, you know, consciously, I remember sitting down on the side of my bed, not laid down, just, you know, sat down on the side of my, the edge of my bed. And then that, and the next thing I know, I'm standing in my living room and everything had transitioned, all this change. And so, you know, that's, that was a crazy enough experience in itself. And then, and then we have a fire. Well, Chad and I are in bed, middle of the night. And all of a sudden, I smell smoke. And I'm trying to wake Chad up. And he's groggy, in and out. And he just basically tells me, yeah, I'm dreaming. And he doesn't smell anything. He goes right back to sleep. I did too, which was really weird. That's strange behavior for me. I have a hard time sleeping. But... I go back to sleep, and next thing I know, I'm smelling that smoke again. Now we've got white smoke coming into our apartment, coming through our doors, and it's coming right into our bedroom. And so he knows it now. So we fly out of bed, and Chad, I'll have you pick that up. Yeah, uh, you know, of course, you know, in the French Quarter, any fire is, you know, a big deal. And so all the buildings are attached. Yeah, because all the you know, and it, it spread so eat you know, so fast. You know, matter of fact, we just had uh, one a big five fire, five alarm fire, uh, um, uh, couple last week uh, here in the quarter. But anyway, where um, she wakes me up, you know, the second time, and I'm like, okay, I smell the smoke. So we run down into the, uh, into the back into the, the courtyard. courtyard, and you know, fire, fire, fire. So everybody comes out. Uh, you know, call the fire department. They show up there fast. I mean, they're fast. And there's probably 10, 15 of these fire uh, firemen 
uh, it's me, these firemen, and then um, the voodoo priestess. And, you know, we're walking around. Now, we can see smoke in the building, it's but billowing. there is no fire. Smoke There's billowing. no fire, you know. And so we are having weird, I'm sorry, I just wanted, because Chad, he was in there trying to help, you know, whatever with fire. I'm standing in the courtyard with all the residents, and uh, we're having very bizarre lightning kind of strikes going on above and around us with no rain, but just this very weird setting as if, and I feel we've, it seems like we've mentioned maybe this before, but certainly in recounting that, it, it was like we were on some set of a movie and some director said, you know, hit the lightning. It was so bizarre. And, and it just set the tone for this billowing smoke coming out of this temple. So you all are in there. Yeah, so, so we're in there. And, I mean, we're looking and looking and looking. And, of course, she, you know, she had all these little uh, altars and different things set up. And she had one altar set up. Uh, it was like her um, wedding anniversary. Uh, and she had, like, this one altar set up for their wedding anniversary. They, she had her you know, wedding dress and his wedding suit up on the wall and then, you know, with the candles and everything. Well, one of the candles, you know, was like those jar candles and one had gotten so low it kind of burst. The bottom, it traveled, you know, the little things, that the trinkets and stuff, you know, it kind of followed up. It went to the wall. It starts going up the wall. It gets to maybe uh, three foot up the wall. And there's these pictures of like the saints and stuff. Well, it stops right there. Now, right above the pictures of the saints are is her wedding gown and everything. So if that would have caught fire, you know, it would have been much worse, you know, of course. But yeah, it was just really bizarre. Now that the the firemen, you know, they're tripping out. They're, you know, they're like, so not you know, they they were they were ready to leave as soon as they walked through the front door. You know, they're like, oh, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. but. Uh, yeah, big old beefy, weird. you know, firemen uh, don't want to be at that meeting. Yeah, right, he, right, right. He, she's renowned. <laughs> yeah, and you know, he he asked her. I think he, he asked her. The fireman asked her to, you know, put her candles out for the mm -hmm. night, and you yeah. know, do what you need to do. But you know, we're out of here. And you know, thank God it didn't happen. And you know, but yeah, it was really crazy. It was just very strange the way it just stop right there because mm -hmm. there was plenty of things you know for that fire to keep traveling on again yeah. that property in those buildings 300 almost 300 years old when i researched it so yeah that and then if i might then again all these different types of anomalous experiences um if i might add also then we left that apartment um Again, we were there less than a year. And <clears throat> then we moved in further into the heart of the quarter as we were doing better financially and could afford to live better. But it seemed like high strangeness was involved with everywhere we lived. Let me just add that. But back to that voodoo temple area, um, we lived there in 95. You fast forward to 10 years, to 2005, Right, right before Katrina hit. Now, Chad and I left 
the New Orleans, we left Louisiana in 2001. So we're long gone by then. But this young couple moved into our apartment. They were somewhat locals that were um, uh, enjoyed, if you will. They were bar people. She was a bartender. I believe that was his gig for a long time. A uh, young couple that everybody seemed to like well enough, but these were hardcore good drinkers and apparently good druggers. And they move into our apartment and it turns in now to a infamous um, murder-suicide. He killed her in our apartment right after Katrina happened. He killed her and then he dismembered her. And he, and then he went to a hotel. I don't remember the, which one in the quarter. But went to, I, if I understood correctly, to the rooftop. Sorry, he killed her in that apartment and left her for 12 days, if I remember correctly. In, and he turned up the air conditioning and uh, left her for 12 days. And the, I, if I understand, in the bathtub. And then he dismembered. And then he goes to this hotel. He goes to the rooftop. And if we understand the story correctly, he basically drinks. He's been drugging and drinking all this time, goes to the rooftop, and he jumps. Hits the ground, obviously, and is killed. And he's got a note in the pocket for the detectives and the police when they find, you know, when they get to the body, directing them to our old apartment. When and they the, get there... The significance of turning up the AC with the body was... So the smell didn't go down the hall? Is that the thinking? That would be the only thought because yeah. it was uh, it was summertime, if I'm not mistaken. And it just, you know, it's hot here in the winter as far as I'm concerned. So, that you know, that would be the only thing. We're not positive. Just repeating what we've understood since we learned about all of this. That couple is called the Zach and Addie story. It's had a lot of airtime on television on these TV paranormal shows um paranormal lockdown was a show that at, that we we actually saw the video of it uh where they this tv show these little famous ghostbuster people forgive my language you know came and spent apparently the night in our apartment but when they got back to the apartment the detectives they discovered that he had dismembered and there were parts of her cooking on the top of the stove parts of her in the refrigerator parts of her in the oven and it's, I, I remember this episode there was a yeah right. there was a, a strong lingering feeling still inside so that was your apartment that i saw in that episode yeah. wow yeah. Then 10 years prior and if, with all of the anomalous and everything the high strangeness that was going on with chad and i nothing like that you know it wasn't what i mean by that it wasn't I had more issue, I felt personally, I'll let Chad speak for himself, with the human factor of what was going on in that property. We're not voodoo people. We're not trying to say anything negative. It just wasn't our world. And it just was a conflict. It became a conflict. And so that was my issue. Um, but certainly didn't feel, with the, all the craziness that was happening to us, what we seemed to be experiencing. When Chad had his encounter with voodoo priests, who had died he was the real he was the real gig he was from Belize originally and brought all of his 
learning, if you will, to New Orleans and started that Buddha temple. And then he died there. And that's who Chad encountered. And they had quite a, you know, he sounded, it felt to me to hear Chad describe it like it was a fun fest for the voodoo priest. Like, yeah, you know, well, I, giggles. Yeah, it was a giggle he, time for him. I think he was just kind of messing but, with me. Right. The, Never felt anything evil, though. No, well, more like a trickster kind of, but mm-hmm. not so, you know. But this maniacal, this, mm-hmm. uh, this insanity. So some hotshot New York author brought himself from New York to New Orleans, apparently, and stayed for some time and wrote a book. The book is Shake the Devil Off, I believe is the title of it, if anybody's interested in exploring that. But that is certainly, that was the beginnings of our beginning in the quarter. And then if you had any other questions in that area, would certainly try to answer. But well, was, no. So this all transpired before... Nineteen ninety-seven. Right. This is the two-year flap. Exactly, the two-year oh. flap. <laughs> That's a great term. I love that. Chad was having. Chad was the. He's a chef, and mm-hmm. and he worked in bars. You know, most of his adult life, and at that time, you know, he's. We're finding our way in the quarter. We're working out real well. We suit it. It seems to suit us, and he's working on bourbon in some really nice places he's an oyster shucker you know that's some real art in itself but anyhow he was having all kinds of uh experiences in some of those great big bar restaurants ghosty stuff i i kind of babied up the language just to i think survive a lot of it just take the scary out of it but he was having all kinds of experiences it sounds like as he shared with me like i'm having privately in our apartment when he wasn't there He's got, you know, he's got friends out there apparently he can't see either that are hanging with him while he's doing whatever he's doing at his jobs and so on. So yeah, it's very active. It didn't nope. seem to be it was a it was a flap. Absolutely. Okay. So you described almost a hypnotic state of others around you. You described ghost, you described time slips of sorts, uh, you know, fire without smoke. Um, all sorts of clues that the French Quarter is super active, but something incredible starts to happen in the year 1997. So let's talk about that. So at this point now, I'm working in a shop uh, that a family owned. They started the business in 1929. They are, uh, I, ca- I call them and refer to them as what a, an exclusive reading salon. What I mean, again, it all walk of life would come there to get readings, but they started back in 1929, and my understanding is it wasn't even legal back then. So the wealthy would get brought in and dropped off, and it was referred to as a, you know, like a tea house where they'd come to get their little tea and sandwich or what have you, and then they'd slip out in the back and get a reading, and then slip out another whatever door and leave. And so it had quite the history. So I was pretty pleased when they brought me on board because I'm like, wow, this is a beautiful location. They work with all walk of life, all types of, I'm not into, I'm not, I'm truly not into ego as best as I can help it. So celebrity doesn't mean much to me other than they can afford whatever they can afford. But we worked with all walks of life and it was very enjoyable for me. And, uh, I, and I fit in well. And so with that said, 
they had hired a young woman by the, we call her Christine in the book. She, at the time, I'll give you age range, she was 24, Chad was 34, and I had just turned 40. Now, three months prior to this event that took place in 97 was my birthday. It happens to be like right about now. I'll have a birthday in a, about a week or so. It was, I was turning, it was going to become my 40th birthday. The idea here is my mom's going to move to the French Quarter long distance, come help me celebrate the 40th birthday, and we're going to all start a life with each other and just take care of each other. Well, that was not meant to be. She died on that day, long distance, and it was huge because nothing seems to have been normal. Whatever normal is, I've never experienced it. So my mom passes, and uh, I'm beyond devastated, and Chad is broken. He and she were very close. So now you fast forward three months. Now we're in September. Everybody is feeling horrible for me. The few, my mother had been to visit. We were of mixed native blood. She was considered a native elder. She had a lot of respect. Everybody loved her. So they were missing and they felt feeling bad for us. So I was having a very hard time shaking it. And still to this day, it's still a struggle. Okay, so I walk in, I've, Christine has been hired. She's 24 at the time. She's tall, slender, long blonde hair. I like to describe her as she's got a garious laugh. She's very sincere, but she's a no mess around kind of chick. And she seems to have always known her path. And her path has always seemed to be consistent, which is saving Mother Earth and, and helping and trying to save abused children and animals and everything else in, in the middle. Okay, so that was her declaration from the time we meet. Well, from the minute I meet her, she, she feels familiar. She feels, I, I'm positive I know her. I've had that experience a few times and it proved to be accurate in a weird way. And so I felt I knew her and it seemed instant for me, we're family. So she's very, uh, concerned when she realizes that my mom has died and that I'm having a hard time. She asked me if I wanted to go out and have dinner and drinks in the quarter that night after work. I accepted. I tell her, let's call Chad. At that time, now we've moved from that infamous voodoo temple to this beautiful, like the kind of places you see on television, if you see anything nice about the French Quarter with the balconies and all of that. We move into this beautiful townhouse, kind of in the center or more centrally located in the quarter. So we're only a couple blocks away from the shop. So we walk, you know, that's the objective. French Quarter is about 13 blocks square, I understand. Okay, so we're gonna call Chad and have him come join us. He's all about it. He gets dressed and walks over and meets us. We step out of the shop about 9.30 when she locks the doors. Christine has been hired to manage the shop sell their beautiful items. They sell very expensive items from around the world, as well as several of us as readers that work for the shop. Her job's kind of to navigate all of that. So we step out of the shop and the minute we all step out, I remember, now even though I work kind of in the world of metaphysics and what have you, I don't walk around and normally talk like that. I don't use a lot of, uh, as others would call it, woo-woo kind of language. But on this night when we stepped out of the shop, I remember real specifically indicating that it, the energy felt weird, that it felt off. 
something was weird. Now, it was that powerful enough for me to say that out loud. I remember both of them acknowledging it as well. So it wasn't just me. And so then we start our journey. And we are going to start on Bourbon Street and work our way across the border. And we're going to be spontaneous. We have no plans. We'll do as we please. Christina at the time had never had been married and had no children either. So we're all free birds. So it begins, we start off in this one spot. Our first location is this rather large uh, two or three story. Oh, Chad's pointing two fingers. Well, it's I'm about to have him take it over. You go ahead, Chad. Yeah, it's three story, but like the restaurant was just the first, you know, first floor and second floor. And so this is large, this large is something place. that you've done before. This isn't you guys have gone out before in the evening with friends and family. This is nothing new, right? This is something you've done many times. I would imagine. Right. Okay. And not only that, but this first location Chad worked at. Yeah, okay. this first move to the quarter. So we're yeah. right where he also had ghosty experiences. So we're real familiar with the owner and the management and what have you. We didn't live there, but we were absolutely familiar. And so that's where we're going to start. This place had a cabana. I call it like a cabana bar right off the street. And then you go through a breezeway into a big, beautiful courtyard, and that's a restaurant. And then you go up this beautiful wood, um, is how I remember it. A swirly staircase to a, I call it, it looked to me like a disco. It had a disco yeah. ball in the center. It's a club, you know, with the balcony and again, where all the tourism and everybody hangs. So it's great. It's big. That's the whole idea. Well, on this night, when we get there, you go ahead, Chad. Well, even when we, uh, uh, before we even got there, it was like, when we were walking down, I mean, we were walking down Bourbon Street, and it was like, oh, where right. is everybody? Right. You know, I mean, there was a few stragglers, like, uh, them, but I mean, there was, it was no like bad. really weird. It was like we walked into the Twilight Zone. It was like, right. where is everybody? Twilight. When we get into the, uh, when we get to this club, this bar restaurant that, you know, again, I used to work at, we knew the, the band, you know, we knew the bartenders. We go in, and there's no band. You know, they always had a live band in the front. There's only one guy there. And in, the the in the whole In the restaurant, bar, and everything. He, he's like the yeah. manager. He's Just like, one. send everybody home or whatever. I don't know. There's no patrons. Uh, we sat and talked to him. Now, he was a, a Mardi Gras Indian. And so he takes us up and shows us his regalia. Which we is come weird. Back down. Yeah. This is all weird story as well. Yeah. Uh, we didn't even hang out because there was nothing going on. We're like, okay, well, you know, we'll go find something, you know, maybe a little more lively. And we, oh my God, someplace alive because there was nobody yeah, there. Right. And, and <laughs> if we were, we weren't thinking nothing high strangeness, paranormal. Just where is everybody? This is weird. And you must have been questioning so, uh, those around you, like, where is everybody? Was were you guys? Uh, you know, told that, uh, you know, yeah, this is odd, I, you know, by other people? No. Okay. There was nobody around. Okay. There was the one dude, he happened to be, well, Chad just went ahead and mentioned it, so let me just kind of frame that off to how weird this was. This guy happens to be this black guy that we had been very close to, um, but we hadn't seen in a long time. Well, he did happen to meet my mom, and 
as I mentioned earlier, we're of mixed native blood, regalia. My mother and I were traditional dancers, you know, growing up and very involved in that world. He knew this and was making it very clear to me how sad he was to learn that my mom had died. Oh, hey, I got my Mardi Gras regalia upstairs. You want to see it? And I'm like, what? Now, this guy is a Mardi Gras Indian. That's a huge thing for Louisiana. That's huge. And specifically New Orleans. I had no idea. Dad had no idea. We had no idea until all of a sudden he drops this on us on this weird night. Well, okay. It's all weird anyway. Let's go upstairs and go see this regalia. This is how I remember it. I remember going up into an empty, completely vacant, empty, dark dance club with a silver ball in the center of it, like an old disco ball. And his regalia, I remember it being red, like very red. And it seemed like it almost had a light on it. Now, I can't, I, I was so blown away, I was not taking it in. It was like, oh, this is, this is weird. Because this is now reminding me about my mom who's just died. I have chosen to go out this night for the first time so that we can try to celebrate. We're trying to have some kind of celebration. This is taking me into a mental place I don't need to be. So that helped kind of just, let's get out of here. I'm you know, trying to say nicely to Chad and well, I didn't have to say it to her because she's ready to go also. She'd never been there. So, I mean, it was just bizarre. And there was nobody around to talk to. There was nobody around to nothing. He was it. Well, explain we for people that, that don't know anything about Mardi Gras, about Bourbon Street, about the French Quarter, how bizarre that is. It's, it's unheard of. It would be the equivalent of going to L.A. and not getting into traffic on I-5. It's just an unheard of quantitative, right? Right, exactly. yeah. I mean, uh, Bourbon Street and, and a lot of the clubs in, in the French Quarter, you know, and they're 24 hours a day, seven days a Non-stop. week. Non-stop. You know, I mean, Bourbon Street's a 24-hour party, you know. Non-stop. And, you know, that should give, yeah. that should kind and, of frame that and, for and people. And this is early. This is like nine, or, you know, kind of, this was about like Like about the time people would be out and it's about, having dinner and yeah, starting to party. Thing. You know, it's good weather, reality. good weather. There's no emergency. Right. There's, there's no reason right. for this. That's yeah. right. right. There's right. no reason. And so it's, it's uh, the word vacant, the stragglers, a few stragglers. And to me, that seems like only just, I can, I'm struggling even to take note of that. Maybe, I, you know, because again, it was, we just, there were no people. There wasn't people. We leave that place. We head on down the road we go to another spot now chad's mentioning a place i don't remember at all and i thought i remembered all of that time very well but he's brought this up recently so i it almost seems like either i've closed something out and something's coming forward for him so i'll have him yeah we we stop at this one spot or we don't even stop we we're like okay well this place over here so it's a little more local let's go over there you know it's if the tourists start more towards the center of the court yeah and we get over there and again it's just the bartender you know there's somebody back behind the bar we look in we don't even go in we look in he's by himself so we're like well here we go again so we move on closer over to uh 
Esplanade in Frenchman, and it was which happens to be the opposite side of the French Quarter. Again, you know, not realizing you're not there and not seeing where we're talking about. We've now made it across the quarter. We're on the opposite side of it. We go to our last spot, as far as we're concerned, that we know is going to be a party because it always is. It's where the locals hang, but it's also a great tourism area. It's called the Dragon's Den. It's still, you know, it's still a happening place now, but we're talking 1997. So there's a Thai restaurant on the bottom. And then you go up some stairs, as we had done for a few years prior. Anytime we wanted to go out, that's where we would go. And you go upstairs, and it's like a, the way to describe it, I, I, said it lovingly jokingly because I've never been in an opium bar but it would might make me almost think this way you sat on the floor on cushions had great big mirrors huge mirrors that you know are a mirror from floor to ceiling great big long thing with black drapes around black, it the walls were painted black you walls know. painted black and and then the band we were usually friends with we always knew or you know it was always just a very comfortable place had a tiny balcony that everybody pile out on, and it was just fun. It was just very familiar, not this night. So I gave you the backdrop just so you'd understand, not this night. The three of us go up those stairs. Now, for the first time that I ever remember, can't ever account for it in the past, the door is shut, and there's a sign on it, and they want a cover charge. That's just never happened. That door's never been closed. You just walk right in. You've never had to pay a cover charge. Well, on this night, that's the way it rolled. So we, in a real, at this point now, I'm over it. And I'm starting to get pretty huffy. And under our breath, but we pivot on the stairs and we're grumbling all the way back down the stairs. Never had to do it before, not going to do it tonight. What is going on? Yeah, I tip the band. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. We always tip the band. We get back out on the street. We have one more spot. It's only because it's right there. All we have to do is walk a few feet across the street the very small street, and the last spot called Checkpoint Charlie's. You go ahead, Chad. And, you know, this is a very, it's a dive bar, you know, Big very dive. dark, you know, but, uh, you know, they always had, again, they always had live music, and we get over there, and again, nobody in the place. Now, this mm -hmm. place, again, they've got a dormant. Uh, you know, we've uh, never seen a dormant yeah. at this dive before, right? And again, there's nobody to dormant, you right. know. I mean, it's I go, I blow past him because I can't believe he's standing there. I'll just take this part over for a second. I look inside, well, you can imagine it's empty, it's empty. Now, the doorman is this cute little blonde surfer looking little boy that looks like he's about the same age as our cute blonde. Friend. So I'm thinking nothing high strangeness, just well, that's convenient. At least he's cute and she's single <laughs> and he's got a big smile on his face, right? I'm a I'm trying to find some party or peace someplace. So he sees and we leave those two standing there conversing, seeming pretty happy with each other. I'm over it at this point. And I tell Chad as privately as I can, as we start walking away from them, there's a stoop about midway down the block. I go sit myself down on that stoop, grumbling to him. 
I'm so bored. I just want to go home. I mean, I'm feeling like I'm Dorothy and Oz right now, sounding like them even. I just want to go home. Well, he's, I remember him agreeing. And then that's the last thing that we know collectively. The next thing I know, I'm sitting up Indian style on my day bed in my living room. And it's somewhere between eight and nine the next morning. And the sun is blaring through the window. And I didn't wake up. I, I like to point this out because it's very different. I didn't wake up. I came to. My eyes popped open and I was rubbing my arms automatically. And I felt something in my upper arm that I never remembered being there before. And then it, it's, you know, just pure chaos from that moment forward. But that's, that was that corner. Now, Chad, okay. if I may, I'll just, and then you take, of course, Tobe, anywhere you'd like to take us. <laughs> we, we love to share this. And we're so appreciative you're interested. Um, Chad's had regression since that 97 event, several years later, probably about 2002, 2003. We had somebody gave him regression. And he has an account of what happened from that corner forward. But if you hear this, take note that it's in Chad's account in that regression, I'm not in his story at all past the corner. In my memory, and I'm the only one out of the three, it would seem that's been returned, whatever has happened to us, that has memory of the in-between. Nothing about coming off the street, nothing about being returned home but I have a full-blown account of in-between. Our friend Christine, she has no memory of that corner. The last thing she remembers is she's on that street with us at that corner, but then the next thing she knows, it's somewhere between three and four in the morning, and she's now behind the steering wheel of her moving car. <laughs> it's moving slowly. It hit a parked car. It knocked off her rear view mirror. And this is what she said jolted her too. I'll mention last, the car was in another section of the city from where she parked it earlier that day. So, I mean, it's just wide open so much. Chad, you, you have some kind of hypnotic regression. I would imagine a fair amount of details were brought out. Was that something recorded? Uh, it was recorded, but the quality of the recording was so bad. I mean, we just used like the old fashioned cassette tape player mm -hmm. and it just, I mean, you can, we've had people take it and try to put it on different machines and, you know. It's missing now. We don't even know where it TV. is any longer, but mm -hmm. it was but, so dreadful to try mm -hmm. to hear it. Right. The young woman who did the regression was not trained in this area. Now, again, you do better when you know better. Mm -hmm. We paid her and it was all worked out, but we didn't understand that she did not understand PT kind of stuff, out right. there kind of stuff. I'm just trying to fill in that language. And so she, uh, the tape recording itself was so dreadfully low, you can't hear. And then also we discovered that she would get so scared when Chad would start describing the beings that he was encountering in that event, that she would stop him and move him away from it. So there is still so much in there that was not allowed to come out. 
And so much in there that uh, still needs to come out. It hasn't been attempted again. No. Okay. Okay. Chad, tell us about that. Tell us what you remember. Okay. So again, we're standing on that stoop. Uh, what this is what comes out in the regression. We're standing there on the stoop, just out and I. Our friend comes back and joins us. We're sitting there talking, and you know, Alta is like saying, you know, I just want to go home. Now I get the girls that I, I see. I I see this light, very bright white light coming from kind of around the corner uh, on what they call Frenchman Street. I get the girl's attention. We walk around the corner and we see this orb in the, in the, it's probably about 12 foot in diameter. It's about 15 foot off the ground and it's probably about a half a block down the street. And it was just this pure white, glowing, beautiful light, just very clean. And it sits there for just a few seconds, and then it just comes towards us and engulfs us. It takes us in. It was, you know, and it orbducts us. That's where we kind of get the name of the book from. Is it kind of orbducts us? My next memory is what I'm walking down this corridor, this hall. It's kind of gently turning to the right. The walls are very metallic looking, but no rivets, no bolts, no seams. Everything just seems to flow together as far as like the wall, the ceiling, and the, and the floor. I'm following this little being, and he's probably about three, three and a half foot tall, big bulbous head, uh, kind of a pale gray skin tone. Now, he doesn't look like the one, you know, the little grays that you see on TV. He kind of had substance to him, you know, he, uh, he was kind of dwarfish or like a small person, you know, he kind of waddled when he walked, you know, he, uh, now I only saw him from behind and never saw his face or anything that I remember. He's wearing this like one piece jumpsuit, kind of skin tight, like a diver would wear almost kind of like. To my left, kind of out of the corner of my eye, I could see a tall blonde female, you know, walking beside me. Now, this does describe our friend that was with me, but I didn't turn to look to see if it was her, so I, I have no idea. My next memory is I'm in this room, and the room just seems infinite. It's huge. It's dark, 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 but it just seems huge. And kind of off to the distance, to my left again, I see a tall, blonde female laying on an examining table or a, you know, like a metallic-looking table. There's three beings around her, one on each side and like one behind her head, you know, at her head. Uh, she never seemed to be in distress. She was nude, but her whole body from head to toe was kind of censored, you know, like kind of like when they show body parts on regular TV, you know, they mm -hmm. kind of blur everything out. And that's These beings around her were probably seven to eight foot tall, very buggish, praying mantis kind of looking, you know, big eyes, uh, their mouth closer to like, you know, their chin area. Their arms were like folded, you know, kind of like a praying mantis. But they were wearing these cloaks almost kind of like a Grim Reaper without the hoodie, you know, it's kind of like the 
black clothes. Uh, and, you know, again, uh, she never seemed to be in distress, but I focused my attention back to my immediate. Now, again, this room was very dark, but I could see, you know, there was lighting around this person on the, on the table and there was lighting around me, but I didn't, I don't remember seeing any kind of uh, light source. So I, I don't know where the light but I could, you know, kind of see my immediate. I'm sitting in this chair, almost like a dentist chair, but, a, you know, a lot more comfortable. I, I, throughout my experience, you know, I want to say this. Throughout my experience, I was never nervous. I was never scared. I was never, you know, I, I'm a very anxious person. I, you know, so, you know, I was very calm. I seem to be very calm. But by all rights, Chad, you, you should have been scared. I mean, that's yeah, right. very think, frightening what you described. Right. right. You would think, you know, you'd be freaked out. You mm -hmm. know, just like, I looked over to my right, and there's this little blue bee. And when I say blue, he's this vibrant, electric, neon, vibrant, just yummy blue. Now, he looks a lot like the grays that you see on TV, you know, big almond-shaped eyes, small slit for a mouth, you know, big head, tiny. Uh, he was three and a half, four foot tall, uh, very thin, very, very thin, four digits on each hand. Don't remember about the feet. Um, but his, his aura, his presence was that of like a, shaman slash scientist slash uh, uh, professor, just this ancient knowledge and wisdom and, you know, but also, you know, the, the holistic shamanistic and the scientist kind of combined. Kind of. Now, how are you picking up this information? All in my mind. Mm -hmm. This is all in my mind. He goes over and he picks up this box and he has it in his right hand. He takes his left hand and he puts it into the side of the box. And when he pulls his hand out, there's this like little blobby kind of substance. You know, it kind of looks like that slime now, that translucent slime that the kids play with. But it was kind of free floating above his hand. It was kind of undulating and moving around, you know, kind of blobbish looking. It was blue like him. It had like little um, metal, glittery, flaky looking stuff in it. Now, I don't even remember him setting the, the box down, but all of a sudden he takes his right hand. Again, he only has four digits. He takes his two middle fingers up, up in almost kind of like a peace sign or in his outer fingers folded in towards his uh, palm. You know, kind of like uh, you see, you know, depictions of Christ or Buddha, you know, in this. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah. When he does this, this substance starts spinning and it's going faster and faster and faster, you know, like a top spinning. And when it when it does this, that the blueness and the little glittery, metally flaky looking stuff inside it kind of dissipate out of it. And they're kind of rotating around it, you know, like the sun and the planets and the, you know, stars and the galaxy and all, you know, and I remember thinking to him, you know, well, 
it starts slowing down. And it has turned into this double pointed crystal. You know, very clean, very clear, you know, double pointed, uh, kind of a pyramid shape on each end crystal. And I, I, and then I remember thinking to, you know, why are you showing this to me? I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. I'm not an engineer. This is something very important. Why are you showing this to me? And again, this is all telepathic through, you know, through the mind. He, he tells me that I will know in time or when it's time. I'm not quite sure which he said, but I would know in time or when it's time. My next memory is I'm in this other room. There's only three walls, two that are very straight, one that's kind of concave. And again, the walls are very metallic, not a very big room, you know, probably the size of an average, you know, living room or whatever. And I guess the longest wall, the wall that was concave was about 15 foot long and the others maybe 10, 11 foot long, you know. There's just, now this is the weird part of the story that, I, you know, I always hate to tell this, to say this, but it's part of the story, you know, it's part of my our experience, my experience. And there's this overstuffed looking, overstuffed leather chair, black leather chair in the middle of the room, just, I mean, exactly in the middle of the room. And I remember thinking to myself, first, how out of place it looked. And second, it looks comfortable, but it's not. So I'd never sat in it. I focused my attention. Now, again, the walls are very metallic looking, you know, no seams, no bolts, no rivets, you know, nothing. I, all of a sudden, I walked a little closer to the wall that's kind of concave out. And I get a little closer to it, and what I thought was a solid wall, I could see through it like a window. You know, the whole wall, again, it was 15 foot long and probably 10 foot ceilings, you know, so it's huge. And I can see stars and it's like I'm out in a galaxy, I'm out in the universe somewhere. It's dark, you know, it's black. Listen, you know, I'm kind of standing there, standing there in awe, kind of like trying to, you know, take this all in and how beautiful it looked and, you know, all this. And all of a sudden, like right outside this wall window, it there's this little craft that shoots past, and it sh goes past real fast. You know, again, it's just right on the other side of this wall window, and it goes and gets about maybe nine, ten foot past me, and it stops just like on a dime, and comes back back, and it's like right in front of my face. It was like almost as surprised to see me as I was it. Because I knew it was seeing me or or picking up on me somehow, and it was probably a, it was kind of the shape of like a rugby ball or a football. It was probably three foot long and two foot wide. Uh, it had little lights blinking on it, little metal things moving around on it, uh, little wires and uh, little antennas moving around. I could feel intelligence coming out of it. And, you know, it was like, 
again, it was like surprised to see me. It was like, okay, look at the little monkey in the window or something like that. I don't know. It, and it sits there for about 30 seconds, maybe at the most. And then it just shoots off in the direction it was going to in the first place. And my next memory is waking up in bed the next morning. At that port window there that you just described, is there are there beings around you at all trying to educate you on what you're looking at? What, what what's the scene like there? No, I'm I, I'm in the room by myself. Mm-hmm. It was almost felt like I was in a waiting room. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like the waiting room in, in a hospital or something, or you know, uh, I don't know. Just mm-hmm. if, if I was totally by myself, nothing, no other beings or mm-hmm. anything that I can remember. And were your senses alive enough to remember things like temperature and smell? Were you picking up on anything other than just sight? No, yeah, I, I don't remember any smells. Or, um, yeah, no. Were you? Yeah, and you were. You you were clothed. Yes. Okay. All right. So you don't remember any procedures or anything like that being done on you? No, I don't remember any kind of anything. Hmm. With the praying mantis type, uh, you said they were wearing cloaks without hoods. Describe what they look like. As far as you said, they're pretty tall. They seem to have insect praying mantis type qualities. Were they green? Were they yellow? What'd they look like? Kind of of like a green gray, almost. Mm -hmm. Now, again, they were kind of off in the distance. I didn't see them. They were probably a good 30 foot away from So this is a large craft. Very large. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, this, this, so that, big room it just seemed infinite again it was so dark i couldn't see the walls Mm -hmm. but it just seemed huge you know it Mm -hmm. just seemed like a big almost like a warehouse size or a you know something huge you know Uh, Mm -hmm. and their their heads were you know very again kind of that triangle shape kind of mm-hmm. you know bulbous but you know kind of a point you know to the their mm-hmm. bottom you know their jaw area their mouths very close to their jaw mm-hmm. uh, big big eyes and, and with again, the, their arms were kind of crooked with the blondes um you know the nordic type looking entities there what did their facial features look like? Did you get a chance to see the one laying on the table at all? It was it too far away? Right, right. And and the whole the whole head the whole body was was uh, censored. You know, it was like blurred out. It was blurry. I couldn't I couldn't really see who or what or anything mm-hmm. like that. It was blurred but out. I could tell, I could... Describe what you mean by blurry. Like, you know, kind of like when you watch a TV and they blur, uh, like, body parts out, you know, like on regular TV, mm-hmm. you know, or I don't know if you've ever watched Naked in the Freight or something like that. You know, they they blur <laughs> right. out the body right. parts. And stuff. Right, yeah. right, right. Right. So yeah. was that done digitally? I mean, did it seem like it was a digital filter in front of them? Is that the best way to say it? Like a blurry digital filter would be like on Naked and Afraid, just like the 
the little bars in front of their privates. Right. Okay. Right. Weird. Okay. I mean. Well, it was, but uh, it was from head to toe. Okay. You know, the whole body was blurred like that. Okay. So the whole, the whole body. Okay. That's still very strange. I wonder why they didn't let you see that image. Um, right. or, or if that was even the case. Okay. So after you look through this viewing port there, you see what looks like, the star system that you're in outer space. Can you see things that you recognize? Can you see Earth? Can you see planets, Mars, the sun? Or is it just so vast and different that you don't recognize anything? Right, yeah, I mean, everything seemed tiny. It didn't seem mm -hmm. like we were any, to, close to any like planets or anything mm -hmm. like that that I can, I can remember. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it happened so fast because when that craft, shoots past me you know i'm focused on it now you know so i didn't really have a, a lot of chance to you know kind of explore and go well that looks like that or that looks like that you know i didn't i don't remember colors or anything like that as far as like being able to see a planet or something close mm -hmm. enough to to see you know the color of the Right. And so you, the next thing you remember is you're, you're back at home. Right. And, you know, I wake up in bed the next morning around nine or so. And, you know, the first thing I do is jump up out of bed, like, and I, you know, run to Alta. And I'm like, what happened to us last night? Because, you know, and this happened within, you know, she gets off work at nine thirty and, you know, the last thing we, we remember is 11 o'clock. So it's mm -hmm. only been an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, but, you know, I've, I've, I, we've had drinks before, but we didn't even remember drinking that night. You know, we hadn't even had a chance to get to a place to have drinks with people. So, it, you know, it's not like we just blacked out. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I woke up, you know, no, that, a, sorry, that's a, very important to take note of. No alcohol, no drugs. And when mm -hmm. we've been challenged in the past, that anybody's ever heard us, and it has challenged us over that drug business, we like to, you know, inform folks there was nobody around to drug us. You know, that, that could have almost been welcome. With all the insanity we've been through and been put through, mm -hmm. and seems to, you know, we've just had current experiences on Valentine's Day, this Valentine's Day. So it is consistent. But the point is, is again, we've never, we've always been very clear, Chad and I, consistent. But Alta, you have physical ramifications of this too. I mean, we're, we're going right. into physical evidence. This is not just a, a mind trip off a, you know, a bad right. dose. Okay, so tell us what happened as far as you can remember, Alta. All right, that's part one of a two-part series. You'll have to tune in next Sunday to get the rest of the story from Alta, whose altered Alta experience is way different than Chad's, let alone Christine's. All three with their mutual stories from Missing Time. I will tell you that in part two, there was... A weird glitch that happened we secured the line back on but <laughs> there was no shock let's put it that way from chatter alta that the line got disconnected suddenly so 
gremlins either got in the computer or not, but we we soldiered on and preserved the rest of the second part of the interview. So look forward to that. All right, thanks again for joining us for Strange Brow Radio. If you would like to be a guest on the show, get in touch with me at the Facebook page, the website, all under the name Strange Brow Radio. You can go to strangebrow.com, strangebrowradio at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page. Check out the weirdness at the Facebook page, Owl Moon Lab, like Hoot Owl Moon Lab. Some major weirdness going on in Cottage Grove, Oregon. Also, we got some live events coming up. Go to strangebrow.com. Get in touch with me, strangebrowradio at gmail.com. Let me know what you're thinking. If you'd like to be a guest or if there's any topics you'd like to discuss, I'm in a new layer up here in the bowels of my studio. I'll talk to you more about that down the road. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, we'll see you in the trees.